Welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast Mother's Day edition. Coming to you live from Shovel Lake Public Radio. Shikari just this won by a lot. Wow. Watching this happen. Honey, I can't see it. I know, I know. The music's going to go down, but we are tuned in live. Special guest. What, what's happening right now? We've tuned in to the Cedar Skier podcast while watching the Mountain Stack Invitational. So we just watched... Shakari Richardson, she just ran 10.74 in the 100. That's a pretty fast time. What's the world record for women? Ooh, good question. I think it's 10.49 by Flojo. She won by a lot, though. It looked quite easy. We might have to name our daughter Shakari. Or Shakari. I like Shakari better. She beat Jenna Prandini. So we don't actually know. Her name's Shakari. Are you sure? Well, that's what they said, Shakari. Yeah, but that guy was British. What if you just said it wrong? Here we go. They're interviewing her. I know you can't hear this podcast listeners. I know you can, but so we need to have said Shakari. I know, but like I said, he's British. She looks unbelievable. That's what they're saying. There's social distance as they're interviewing her. She's got blue hair. She's always got long fingernails too. <laughs> this, do you remember Eagle Eye when we uh, were flying home from that meet and Tori yes, Bowie, Bowie <laughs> sat next to uh, C- Connor. Connor. Wow, yeah. Connor and Zach—they kind of look like, right? Yeah. I kind of wow. forget what Connor's face looks like, but I'm thinking picturing Zach's face. <laughs> I yeah, they're both kind of like. Blonde, blonde North Herculean gods. Norse, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. Didn't he get her number, or didn't we tease him that he wanted should have gotten her number? I don't know. They just talked casually, though. It was so typical. Anyway, this is Christy Cedarquist. This is my wife, the mother, future mother of our ch- child. Are you considered a mother though on Mother's Day? I, I guess you are, right? People have wished me a happy Mother's Day. So I feel guilty now for not getting you something. You did. You drove me. <laughs> Frisco so I could get little plants in little fox. Oh, yeah. I was proactive in my mother's dayingness. But actually, the ultimate gift that I could give you was a spot on the Cedar Skier podcast show on Mother's Day. That's right. I have given you quality time and a slot on our show, which is, I really, I don't think I could possibly give you more than that, to be honest. So Right. When you go big, I'm coming with you. (laughs) This is going to be a great... um, the intersection of sports and moms on our Mother's Day show today. I've put aside, unless you want to talk about World Cup takes, about, I have a World Cup take, but maybe I'll save that for my next I didn't show. watch the World Cup, sorry. Yeah, but it's Klabo and Bolshinov. You know them. Klabo's mm. the one that you like. Oh my gosh. No. Klabo's the one that you like. Klabo's the one that you are obsessed with. Bolshinov. Uh, he's the Russian guy. And who you wanted to name our son after, if we had a son. <laughs> Did I say that? Alex- yeah. Oh, yeah, Alexander. I think that's kind of a cool name. Uh, okay, well. It is cool, but I don't know if I like naming him after Alexander Bolshinov. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not that. I'm not that. Uh, I don't know. We, we, by the way, if you're tuned in, we are. I was thinking about in an effort to try and get more listeners that we could talk about baby names. So if you like tuned yeah. into the show. Then people would know what we're going to name our baby. Well, they would know some of the options. Yes. It might attract viewers. Oh, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't Listen. be saying this on the air, but we should have just come up with a bunch of really, really, really ridiculous ones and then not had any of our regular ones. 
And then just in case our parents all listened in, then they would be freaking out. <laughs> but speaking of moms, by the way, and Babylon B, here's a headline. Forget your mama jokes. Here are seven hilarious yo birthing person jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yo birthing person is so fat, she fell in love and broke it. Uh, your birthing person is so obese. She's at risk of obesity-related problems like diabetes and heart disease. That's cold, yo. It's, question. When you say your birthing person, yo, though. Yo, birthing. I, no, I know, I know. I know. Yeah. But that's what it means. Is that actually meaning your own mother? Because if I just say your birthing person, couldn't you say that I'm your birthing person too because like I'm your wife it's really confusing oh my the, gosh like, no it's understanding. your mom like if I'm saying it I'm talking about your mom if you say yo mama then you're talking about my mom I know what mama means but when I say birthing person your birthing person okay is that you know what I'm saying like mom is specific to that person because it's your mom it belongs to you but your birthing person is that this isn't apologetics class Let's keep going. Anyway. Yo birthing. This one's a good one. Yo, you'll like this. It's COVID. Yo birthing person is so dumb. She wears two masks outside, even though she's vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Here's another one. Dan will like this. Yo birthing person is so stupid. She liked the last Jedi. Ooh. Dan doesn't like it. It says, blow the belt, bro. Ooh. Some ointment on that burn. Yo, birthing person is so problematic. She held a gender reveal party for you without your consent. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'm like, we did not, we did not screen this. Last one. Yo, birthing person is so toxic. Even the Daily Wire won't hire her. Hey, I like the Daily Wire. That's Ben Shapiro's show. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, One more uh, Babylon B story. Uh, The headline reads shame this this woman gave life to a beautiful child completely missing out on soul crushing corporate career (laughs) this comes to us from detroit michigan according to a tragic report local mother lynn smith has given birth to a precious brand new human life completely missing out on having her soul crushed every day in her corporate career (laughs) mr smith has picked up extra hours at his job so she can stay home with her baby Sources say Mrs. Smith has given life to a gorgeous baby boy who has filled her life with transcendent love and meaning unlike anything she's ever experienced. Unfortunately, this has caused her to miss out on the coveted salesperson of the fiscal quarter award at her former employer, Omnicorp. (laughs) She's also missed out on 1,823 hours of overtime, 372 Zoom meetings, 12 unwanted advances from male coworkers, and all the respect (laughs) of feminists familiar with the situation. That's a good one. Babylon B. So... Mother's Day take. What's your Mother's Day take on this recent article, uh, Christy, about the politicians who said birthing people? That's what we're making fun of. And you, you don't know, have to get you should have told me to read these articles before this ah. because I can't see your screen, and so I have no idea what they're about. Yeah, no, I mean, I, other than just okay, the title of birthing person instead of mother. Yeah, I'll give you the catch up. Basically, uh, there was I think it's a freshman senator from somewhere who was talking about. Well, the 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 crux of the argue, or the article is that she used the term birthing persons instead of mothers. So, she used it throughout and then the thing that was kind of strange was that all these other politicians um on the left also were using that. So, people were kind of like saying, "Well, there must have been a memo that got sent out. Let's not offend 
anyone on this. So yeah. all of a sudden, it was like one day, everyone in politics decided to use birthing persons instead of mothers. I actually think birthing persons in some way is more restrictive instead of being more inclusive because think about the mothers that did not actually birth their children, maybe adopted them. Mm -hmm. And they're not maybe a birthing person, but they are their mother. They are that child's mother. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, and I also think if someone has given birth, Maybe they were a biological male and got a implant or something. Like I did, like, who are we offending by saying the word mother? Yeah, I think I'm not that, actually sure. Well, I tried to look up to an article. And it was how many transgender males, so that's females to male, um, have given birth to um, children. And question, yeah. even before you move on, why on earth would a female to male? If they think they're a male, why would they want to give birth? Why would they ever make that decision? They've made the decision to become a male, therefore giving up the... Well, you're already attaching being a male necessarily to being a mom. I think, I think it, because to them, they don't, they don't associate those two things. You could be a man and want to be a mom. And, but I think what happens is they have their internal organs, their uterus is there and everything, and they haven't had the extensive like mutilation yeah. of those body parts. So they're still there. And then they, they have an unwanted pregnancy. The weird thing is, is they have an unwanted pregnancy. Well, yeah, it's unexpected and unwanted typically. So they're, they're a because transgender they're tra- man who's with another man. Yeah. That's the part yeah. I didn't really think about. I had to think through that because the picture in the article showed two women. So it appeared that it was two lesbians. Of course, one of them is, being a man but that would beg the question like well hold on a second where is the sperm coming from right so they yeah, would have they would have that would be to... unwanted well i guess it could have been if if they spent one night with a guy once you know they could have been a bisexual yeah bisexual transgender it's That's still it's so confusing it is kind but... of confusing yeah i was trying to i did i didn't do enough prep on seeing like how many people are there but anyway i think you brought up a good point actually i wasn't Thinking about that, you're ex- you are excluding someone who couldn't, maybe can't give birth, can't. Mm-hmm. And I, get and I, so I think mother isn't isn't just the biological. I have given birth to this human life. I think that's a huge part of it, mostly. But there are mothers who are who are the mothers of their children, even if they weren't their biological mother. So we were lucky to have a wonderful sermon today talking about biblical femininity. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that Skiologians has been working through a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And I was thinking about it the entire time the sermon was going on. And I think today, Mother's Day is a good day to remember what biblical femininity is. So before that, you kind of have to understand, I think, biblical masculinity, too, because it's a complementarity, a complementary view. Um, And so biblical masculinity, it says, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. So the three tasks clearly are for mature men is to provide, protect, and lead. And we kind of, I've, I've talked about that at length in my podcast. Femininity, at the heart of mature femininity. Here's the whole phrase. Uh, Wait, here it is. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So 
disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture, basically, biblical masculinity. And the one, the point of, I won't say contention, but I'm going to, I'm going to back it up here. Like, let's see, where are we in the world? It seems to me in the world we have no, the, the world doesn't understand what, what masculinity and femininity is by the biblical standards definition. That's pretty clear. And that's somewhat understandable. So what, what I think we see in the world and what Pastor Tanner would say, according to his sermon too, I think is they don't even get the definition of either of them right but the masculine one is clearly portrayed masculinity is portrayed as being um superior mm-hmm. to feminine femininity so there's been this push in the culture whether it's through music movies etc to basically tell women that they can be men and they can do anything men can do even better and what biblical complementarity that view would suggest is masculinity is you know protect provide and lead and femininity is uh, affirm nurture and receive uh biblical masculinity and both of those roles are equal they're not it is not one over the other i would say too that when we look at like if someone were to come up to you and say well maybe i'll just ask this to you and see what you say if someone were to say okay do you believe men and women are different you'd probably say yes and then if they asked you to explain that, what would you say to that? Men and women are created differently with different roles. And that's not meaning women should be at home washing dishes and men should be fixing the car. When I say roles, it's more about the character. And yes, they're, like Pastor Tanner was saying, there are women who have more, quote, masculine character traits in some ways, but um, generally, like, to say that a woman must affirm masculinity doesn't mean that a man can't affirm something. Or to say that a woman must nurture does not mean to say that a man cannot nurture, if that makes some sense. Um, And like you've spoken about on your podcast, to say that a man must lead does not mean that a woman cannot lead in some capacities. Um, But it is really dependent on how their relationship is and in the ways they're interacting with one another. Um, And that's not always in a marriage relationship. You know, like you talked about having a female principal, you know, she's leading in some ways, but it's not a personal relationship with that person um and so some of those things are not necessarily i I don't know um but it's not it's not about a job or a task being wrong in and of itself yes yeah i think i think it's more the heart behind it and um i liked pastor tanner's analogy actually about like how having all these women heroes what they're essentially doing is just putting a woman in a masculine role they're not changing they should be changing the role to a feminine role where the woman can be a hero in a feminine role and they're just saying okay go beat up all these bad guys just like the men would do yeah uh here's 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 the part that i have i think it's a really small distinction but i think it's incredibly important so in our sermon he put up that 
thing where it was the Venn diagram and it basically yeah. said here's a continuum of masculine feminine and then in the middle is it was humanity and the overlap was so great basically to suggest that you could be a guy who has lots of feminine traits or characteristics or vice versa you might be a tomboy girl who has lots of traits and that's that's just how we are we're a lot more alike than we are different i actually i want to I, I think and i'll just play devil's advocate i'm gonna just say i i disagree with that i think the traits characteristics those things where we say like women tend to be this men tend to be that i think that's true an, an observation but I think our femininity and masculinity is not defined by characteristics or traits. But I think this book uses the word disposition very carefully. So if I read again, it says, Biblical femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture. And I'll just summarize biblical masculinity because that's what they are affirming. It says, it says they're affirming worthy men leadership from where they meant. So what I'm suggesting is you could be a tomboy who likes to to fix cars, like sports, is very physical, might even be aggressive. All those traits that were mentioned that are typical of men, but you never lose the innate thing that makes you a woman is the disposition to receive leadership from worthy men. And I, th I think I find that to be less confusing and it answers the question maybe better because now that explains the diversity in men and women. You might be a, a guy who is totally relational. He, Tanner kept saying how, um, you know, relational, that's typically a girl thing. Guys kind of tend to like stuff. Yeah, that's true in percentages. Scientifically, you probably could prove that. But what about the guy who's not like that or the girl who's not like that? The, the explanation then, if you go back to the Venn diagram, well, you maybe are more on the... Con I wouldn't... Don't go... Don't point them on the continuum. I would say, here's the key. You might be in a leadership role. You might be a principal as a woman. You need to lead in such a way that does not compromise your disposition to affirm leadership from men. So the way you will lead will look slightly different. And that's why even the example of like... Okay, we should create some feminine heroes who aren't just going into battle, taking the sword and cutting off the monster's head. I totally disagree with that. That literal action there could be done by a girl or a boy. The difference will be a woman hero will not lose sight of her disposition to affirm the leadership from worthy men. And that, so I think the literal how that looks can be different. The things they won't do will be to say things or do things that would compromise that. So I think it's not about like, well, if you're a, if you're a woman superhero, then you definitely can't wield a sword or you you'll be more passive. I, that's the one thing I would I would disagree with it. Like there's a feminine way to be a hero that's different than being a man. Yeah, it's different, but it's it that doesn't it's not different in like the literal you're looking how it's done. Right. Like, yeah. And so yeah. I, I guess I, I'm struggling a little bit with the difference between disposition and character. Well, I, I guess I picture character traits or interests like descriptors. Like, let's just say I'm a guy and let's just pretend I'm super relational. So relational is a character trait of me. But my disposition is my yearning desire to provide, protect, and lead. That I have innately as a man. Right. And, I and just, maybe you do that through relational sure, traits. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'm actually relational. They're leading. Through being relational. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. it's the it's the And disposition is, yeah, I was going to say, disposition is like a, a position. It's a way that you're you're facing almost of like, this is the desire. This is the way that I want to go. And in the book, they talk, that's why they talk about how like you might be a man, a husband who is a, on disability insurance, doesn't work at all. And your mm -hmm. wife does. The difference is, is you as the man, 
uh, you might not be putting bread on the table, but you feel the urgency to put the bread on the table. Yeah. So that is that was a huge critical thing for me to think about. Now I view this whole conversation differently because, hey, yeah, if you're if you're a, a girl who's really aggressive and competitive, which we typically see more often in boys, I wouldn't say that necessarily aggressiveness is a masculine trait. I would say that the the masculine traits are your disposition to lead, provide, protect. So you might be aggressive aggressive in your desire to affirm biblical biblical leadership. Well, that's a woman thing, right? To affirm a biblical leader in an aggressive you, way. I was going to say, can you be nurturingly aggressive? Aggressive, aggressively nurturing? Well, it could be tenacious, <laughs> yeah, right? Your right. tenacity. Yeah. And yeah. we know all it, sorts of women who are very tenacious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In fact, we're going to talk about a few of them. Serena Williams, great athlete, tennis player, 23-time Grand Slam champion. Very tenacious, very aggressive, very athletic. Those might be things we attach typically to men, but they're just simple traits. I think there's a place deep in her heart where because she's a woman, she feels a desire to affirm biblical leadership from a man. That's just how we were created. So now that I think gets suppressed. And obviously the culture blinds that. It really made me actually the sermon, Tanner. How could you? You made me not. It makes me like never want to show my kids Pixar films. <laughs> now I know why my mom said she always was kind of like, oh, the subtle messaging. I was kind of like, oh, Toy Story, whatever. Yeah. But there is a lot there. There's so much. So here's I'm going to push back on you a little bit. It's not that we're not going to show our children. But what I'm learning about in Mama Bear Apologetics is you need to talk about it. You And I remember my high school pastor saying that too. Like everything has a message and you need to be discerning. You don't have to avoid every single piece of pop culture, everything, right? You can listen to that song or watch that movie within reason, you know, so you're not garbage in, garbage out kind of thing, but you always need to be discerning. So after you have watched a movie, a Pixar film even, talk about the themes in it, discuss some of those things. And I think it's harder because when your kid is three, you can't necessarily always bring that kind of thing up, Yeah. but you might be able to more than you think you do, you know, like... I was thinking about Dottie watching Peter Pan at your parents, and it's been years since I've seen Peter Pan. And, like, the I don't know, remember even what all was going on, but various things. The dad was just, like, clearly kind of a deadbeat, didn't know how to yeah. even, like, put the kids to bed or anything like that. And, and I was like, I wonder if you could bring that up to Dottie and be like, is that daddy a good daddy, like, you know, that, that the Bible would say he should be or something like that? And I bet she'd be able to even at three, articulate some of those things that are not how they should be, you know. And so I think it's, you do have to be extremely careful, but um, yeah, to be, to teach your kids to be discerning is very important. I wonder though if, see, Pixar, I give them a lot of credit. I think they know how to communicate with young kids. So I've, I would worry that the messaging that the Pixar wants to get across is going to get across because kids are, it's the message is designed to be presented in a visual way. Right. Yeah. They understand it's not like, it. You're going to yeah. come to them and go, okay, well, this is what I want you to know. And mm -hmm. they're not going to really understand it. Yeah. You know, and, and so like the ingrained part, but this does bring up like heroism for, well, first of all, let's just get it clear here that we believe that feminine, femininity, masculinity, they have equal in equal in importance, right? They are, mm -hmm. we are both valuable because, we are we are both created in God's image, men and man and and woman. So that's what makes us valuable. More on that, I guess. If you want to, you can obviously tune into our shows. But I think what I would create a hero who's a female, it would look something like 
the mom in the home affecting the coming generations and the cultures by doing those tasks. I think our culture and our world, if this was Shapiro said this on the show, he was talking about how moms at homes are the ones who determine what the culture looks like mm -hmm. in our world because they're raising the next generation. So they're the ones who are teaching the truth, the mom of parapologetics, all that. They're the ones that are teaching people how, how the ethics, mor morality, uh, epistemology, they're teaching all them, all those things that are going to affect how they are when they're adults. So I don't know, some sort of plot line that would like the war room. She like goes to prayer for her family. She's the hero of the story, really. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, and, and Both well, women are, so. you could you could kind of actually attack that in the sense that what we saw there was a man who was not being a leader. He was not right. leading his family. Right. But she didn't step in and try to take over. She allowed him to, but she nurtured and respected his leadership. That's true. That's so, true. So I do think that that was still biblical femininity. Yeah. DK Metcalf just finished the 100 meter dash and I missed it completely. I saw a replay and I saw no times. Very unhelpful. And there was your advertisement in the middle of our very serious conversation. I've now closed out of that, so I won't be distracted. We'll come back to that. Updates. I was wondering if you were reading times. an article. Or no, I was like, oh no, did I miss the DK Metcalf thing? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, we, we definitely need someone, a Doug Wilson, an author, to create the true female heroine. You know, in a novel setting, a fictional. Nestor. <laughs> I don't know why I said Nestor. Esther. <laughs> well, yeah, a hero that is that is doing things that are feminine acts of. I'm curious, heroism. actually. I've seen on ads like pop up on your Facebook of like heroes, female hero novels for like middle school girls. And some of them are like Esther based on biblical characters, but I think some of them are not. I'm curious. I would be curious to like read some of those and, and see how biblically accurate they are and how much they, you know, are a feminine view of a hero. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think my view of the creative landscape is still wide open. I, like if I'm a Christian author and I'm trying to get this point across, my only rule is my hero doesn't compromise the biblical definition yeah. of femininity. So go for it. We talked about that. At, you missed it that day for Q&A when we were talking about Pastor Tanner was saying how we as Christians need to be in art and culture and we need to be putting truth back into those because that's how culture has changed. Well, that's the Francis Schaeffer diagram that we that he put put up on the board last week where it's like your culture shifts. Be, it oh, starts yeah, yeah. With, yeah. You're right. And that's, again, why the true heroes are the moms in the homes because they're the ones that put up the roadblocks to, to um, stop destructive changes in culture so when 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 kids are seeing things on tv that are destructive and when they are reading things in the in books at school that are destructive they're the ones that are teaching the kids in the home i mean they and then those kids grow up and they go out and become the next teachers and principals mm -hmm. who will have an effect in determining the next generation the reason we're reading postmodern times for our next bible study is because grace read it for school That's and, and was like we should read this before we read a secular book so that we all have an awareness of postmodern times. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. So, biblical, Mother's Day, sports. Let's go let's talk about sports. This is sports, sports, sports. You all have just sports. So, what I have here is um, Mother's Day 
most amazing pregnant athletic feats. Are you ready? Yes. I was shocked. Now I I'm going to run the Leadville 100. Not while pregnant. <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of running, we'll start with that one. I actually witnessed this. Were you there in Sacramento? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 2014. Gosh, that was a long time ago. That's like seven years ago. Are you sure you were there? Maybe well, the years I wasn't. Here. I wasn't there. She, she did it twice. She and ran I was there pregnant for, twice. Yes, she ran the eight hundred pregnant twice, and I maybe was there for the second one. Oh, was she like not full on bowling ball belly the second time? I don't think she was. I don't think yeah. she was eight months, but I think she was like six months pregnant. No. Yeah. Okay, Look it up. Look it up now. Uh, Alicia Montano. She's on her third kid now. Wow. And one of the marathon She's had th- three kids. I don't know how old they are, but. Well, you're right. Wow. This okay. is <laughs> Okay. See? This is crazy. Uh, Alicia Montano competes again while pregnant. So this is 2017. That's definitely when you were there. That's yep. right. Took two laps at nationals while pregnant with her first child. It was only fair she'd do the same with baby number two. Five months pregnant. You're right. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. So she's five. This might be more amazing. Five months pregnant, she finished more than 19 seconds behind the winning time. So she ran 221 five months pregnant. And that's after... In the 800. In the 800. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's that's more amazing. Well, when she was 34 weeks pregnant... I didn't ran, realize she was 34 weeks. Yeah. Oh, man. She was huge. She ran 248. <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah. And I remember watching it at the time. I think I was able to do, you know, five-minute mile repeat. So I was like, well, it's a good thing. I'm still faster than a pregnant woman in 800. <laughs> now I'm kind of like, I haven't run sub-six-minute pace in a training run for a little while. So... She yeah. might have you. So did she race with her third kid then? I don't know. I wonder if she did. Yeah. So 2014 and 2017. She's, I appreciate her because she is a huge advocate for mother athletes. And she said it's so frustrating because being a mother is something that's very important to many women. And most women who are professional athletes don't feel like they can be a mother because yeah. they're just dropped immediately by their sponsors if they get pregnant especially running that's mm-hmm. like one of the worst yeah. sports for it. i mean because even guys the, the classic example i think is leo manzano went from olympic silver medalist winning u.s championships the next year or something and then getting dropped by nike and they dropped him because they knew by 2020 he wouldn't be relevant mm-hmm. yeah it's like whoa so yeah. some of these athletes it's like yeah if you're a track athlete you almost either have to call their bluff and like be a 20 year old Mm -hmm. get pregnant have a bunch of kids and have them go oh i hope she comes back yeah (laughs) but that's that actually would be kind of sacrificing the prime of your career so you maybe and you'd be a young mom oh yeah it is awful that's a good point i mean but any any pro athlete but especially running because they're so olympic cycle it's hard not being a guy yeah i'm curious actually what is alicia is that how you say it or is it i don't know alicia 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 sounds better alicia well she she still is um, – she's sponsored by a, like, women's maternity clothing line um, and is training and nursing her third child. I just read a blog from her recently. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing. I'm, like, uh, behind the fact that these companies are trying to make it possible for yeah. women to be moms and work. But there's also this part of me, too, where, like, where do you draw the line between, as a Christian going – your number one priority and your most important job is to raise your kids. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, there's this part, too, where... 
the Sarah, Sarah Hall has it set up the best. Yeah, because yeah, because Ryan gets to be home with their children and everything too, and he's kind of training her, and well, they the, kind of get to be a family together. Their company too, Asics, is just like we're just gonna give you as much money as you want, and you can yeah. do whatever you want. Like yeah. like they have a lifetime deal there, so Sarah Hall can can train hard as like very hard. You know, mm-hmm. she does like 120 mile weeks. Yeah, but. She doesn't have the pressure of the contract, yeah. so I think in her mind, I'm I'm almost positive she sees herself as a mom first and yeah. an athlete second. I wonder too about like Shalane Flanagan. I know she just adopted a baby, which did she retire she though? Okay, she retired. she's a coach now. Okay, because I was gonna say like I feel like in some, I mean, obviously being a professional athlete, you are still you have to travel a lot, you're still working a lot, everything. But there is an aspect of it of like once your training run is done and you're coming, you are coming home to like make meals and to rest. And so you are maybe in some ways home a little bit more. And some of those things like with the halls, like her daughters now run with her on training rounds. So like it can be kind of a family affair a little bit, you know, in some ways, maybe more than some other jobs, you know, like they can be at the track hanging out with you kind of in between sets and before and after your workouts or whatever. But yeah, that's a good point too, actually, that running, you have a, you're not, you're not, you're not like working 10 hours a day as a runner and you shouldn't be. So if there was a job really that you could be a really good mom, it'd be that one. Although I, I mean, some of the, like Kara Goucher and Shalane Flanagan did talk about, or Dina Castor, like they're on, you're on your feet so much as a mom, you know, it's like, you're, you're not just sitting down. But I, I see, I'm of the ilk that like, okay, in an ideal situation as a runner, like remember the Kenyans, they go run and then they like go and like work around their mm-hmm. house all the time so i don't think like the ideal situation is necessarily run and then have your feet up completely yeah. cycling is probably a little different because you're biking six hours a day so then they might right. want to stay off their feet a lot but and that's a longer longer training workout. time probably oh, than triathlon running. would be the yeah. worst you know because you have to be doing all three of those things but yeah. it, it would be and i think the part though emotionally like, I think that's more what I get at when, when there's female athletes who are so soaked up in yes. their career, they want a company to support them, that plus is, they want to be a mom. Right, it's right. like... And and know. that's why sometimes people are like, well, you could be a teacher because you get the whole summers off and you, you know, like, you only work till 3.30 every day and whatever. And, and I get that and I'm thankful that if I do have to work, I will be a teacher in a teaching position and there's a huge benefit to having the summers off with my children and things like right. that. But... But what those people don't understand is that emotional toll and is that amount of of emotional and, and mental energy that you're pouring into your students and caring so deeply for them that I do think that it would be challenging to to be able to give of yourself like that in a classroom setting and also be able to give as deeply or more to your home. Because yeah. I think one of those things does just suffer, you know, like. I was reading something recently, like for Teacher Appreciation Day or week. You know, you're a teacher if, and it had a bunch of things, and one of them was like, you spend more money on your classroom than you do on stuff for your own kids. And I was like, yeah, that does happen because you're so invested in your classroom, and not that like and if spending not, your money or whatever. But it, but honestly, yeah. it's terrible, and it can happen if you're spending more of your time. I mean, I think about a coworker of mine. Every weekend, she was emailing me. She's got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old or 10-year-old or something. She's not with them on that weekend then. She's working. Yeah. So then she's at school all day. 
she's up until 11 p.m. And maybe she's only working when they're asleep or something, but that's still, she's not getting them the sleep that she needs to be able to like probably love them well, you know? And I don't know. I hope that I, and it depends on maybe the kind of job you have too as a teacher and the, the situation you have. You know, if you've taught for 15 years the same subject and it hasn't changed and you're, you really can leave at 3.30, maybe it's better, but. And I would say what's the, the question that should be asked here is, what is the compass that determines as a mom that you can work or should work versus I need to be at home? And I think that's a question that gets answered by the verse, the call to raise up your children in the way that they should go. So if you feel like you can satisfy that biblical requirement to to the best of your ability ensure that your son or daughter learns the truth of the bible and and understands the gospel and comes to a place where they are recognizing christ as lord and you're you are able to satisfy that fully to the best of your ability while also having a b c job yes then that job's probably fine and you might be right some women maybe have a deeper capacity and so they are they can do something fulfilling that biblical mandate completely also with a full-time job or depending on the work environment between spouse right like if your husband is working at home or has a job at different hours and you guys can maintain your relationship in that way i think i think that probably the most common objection is going to be for most people in america nine to five job options is they might say yeah i think i can do a good enough job ensuring the christian education in my home and i can work a job but they're really not being honest because if if you're saying that but you're gone 12 hours a day and you see your kids for half an hour and you're sending them to the government instituted schools and they're they're getting indoctrinated there and then you're not really providing them a bolster against that then then you can't be honest honestly say you're doing it to the best of your ability you might still be doing it but and i think you know it just got it comes down to that nuance maybe you know and that's that's but i mean yeah, there's there's situations where it's like you've got to work sometimes mm-hmm. to just survive. But maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it. Maybe as Christians, we have to go, no, no, no. Obey God's commands first. He'll take care of the rest. So, right. yeah, it might seem illogical or risky or unsafe mm-hmm. to have mom at home, but that's the command. And we know if we follow the commands, we're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, we might not get what we think we need, but we will get what we actually need. So, wow, that took us off. I didn't even get through my list. Sorry. That's okay. That's kind of the most amazing one. Uh, no, we got some. Serena Williams won the Australian Open four weeks pregnant. Four weeks? You don't even know you're pregnant when you're four weeks pregnant. <laughs> well, get this, okay? There's a couple other four weeks ones. Carrie Walsh won gold at 2012 Beach Olympics Volleyball, five weeks pregnant. And um, Sarna... I don't have the last name for that. This is someone in an article, 2004. USATF cross-country championships. She was eight weeks pregnant. Didn't know it. Don't you know at eight weeks usually? I would guess if you're a cross-country runner, you might not get your period very often. And so that's kind of the telltale sign. So you actually just genuinely might not know. Well, if you've missed that yeah, and she's, regularly other times in your life. After competition drug test, USADA comes and she offered them the tester breast milk in place of a urine sample, which they declined. The, Wait, your, what? <laughs> I did not understand what you just said. The auto competition drug tester showed up at her house afterwards and she produced a breast milk sample instead of a urine sample. At That's eight what the weeks pregnant? Said. That I, doesn't make any sense. Maybe it was a joke. 
I don't know. I, Maybe I she don't. had another baby. Well, anyway. The, that could be, and that could be a reason she didn't know she was pregnant, too. This is something I learned, and this is kind of frightening. Pregnancy can give an athletic boost in the first weeks of pregnancy. You have an increase in red blood cell count. So, obviously, it's like it's like natural doping. Okay, so. So, understand, you really right? want to race well, some people right are saying, away when you're pregnant. <laughs> Serena Williams was like, oh, she had an advantage. <laughs> That's not. She also might have been throwing up <laughs> right before. <laughs> Wait for it. Cold War Soviet countries. Okay. Athletes would intentionally get pregnant, hoping to capitalize on red blood cell count. And then abort pregnancies <gasps> after competing. Isn't that crazy? I think oh. I just turned off. Yeah, it was like, leave it to the Soviet nations to do something that crazy. And like the risk reward. I mean, are we talking like a red blood cell? Did you feel that four weeks? Were you able to, did you feel like super mom? This would have been for you like Christmas time, right? We weren't even up here at altitude. Because we went, did we go home for Christmas this year? We did, but I, by that time I already knew. So I was beyond four weeks when we went home. Oh, but barely, right? Yeah. But, yeah, you would. You we would found out like time. on Christmas. Yeah, you would have been at that time of of your red blood cell count, your your natural doping peak around Christmas time. What did you do with it? I went on a run with Savannah. That was very slow because she was six months pregnant. <laughs> wow, that would have been the time to try and go for the mile record, the Christy Bungie mile. I record. didn't know. Well, yeah. no, it would not have been the time to do that. I was <laughs> six I need some speed work. Mile re- um, it says pace. Carrie Goucher trained throughout her pregnancy, even went on a run the day she went into labor. Wow. That's intense. That's impressive. I'm not, I don't think I'll be there. Um, Dana Vollmer, four time gold medalist, swam in the 560 meter freestyle in a pro race series. I wonder if there's six any months pregnant. real. I mean, you probably have a lot more drag if you're pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but otherwise, like, there's no, it's no impact. Yeah, you're not, I, like, hurting the baby. You for sure should be able to swim with that. Um, but what about, like, chlorine intake and ooh, stuff good question. Pools? Yeah, I'm not sure. We have a golfer here, five months pregnant, won an, an LPGA Open. I don't think that's that amazing. Although five, yeah, five months. That's, like, where you are now, right? Yeah. yeah even less. You could, if you were a pro golfer, you could have easily won. Um, Sarah Brown, this one is kind of crazy. Four months after giving birth, she tried to make the Olympic team. This was at the In trial what? we were at, the 1500. Oof. Yeah, she ran 424, four months after giving birth. That's, that is insane. That's pretty wild. But here's the other thing. She ran a 10-miler the day before her daughter was born. <laughs> a race. No, Ten, just a run. Just a run. Yeah, but still, I mean, it goes, so this is why, obviously, and how kind of hard would this be? Your Olympic dreams coincide, right? You get pregnant. This is this is bold femininity in my book because Olympic cycle every four years. So you mm-hmm. get pregnant. She would have gotten pregnant then, what, six months out from the Olympics? No, wait. She gave birth. Then four, four months later, later. Four, four months, months later, tried out for the Olympics. So that means she was pregnant 13 months before the Olympics trials. So that would be pretty devastating if that was a lifelong dream. You're 13 months out. You're pregnant. and you So you know you're going to have four months postpartum to try and be relevant. Impossible, you know. And, and But you'd have to live that entire year and a month. Like, Training and well, trying to. And mentally trying, knowing yeah, like, that you're, there's just no way, yeah. right? Like it's, it's kind of heroic. And I think, I don't know if you know, you know as, as much about this, but like track and field women athletes, often have abortions 
it's very common. Because um, they're worried they're going to lose their sponsorship yeah. and worried they're going to... And career and miss out. It's yeah. just the timing is never good. So that would have been a massive temptation, I'm sure. I, oh, I, that's oh, hard. Yeah. I curious, can... I'm curious if she was able to breastfeed or if she just didn't even try. Because I feel like if you were training that hard, for the 1500, I feel like you just wouldn't be able to produce milk. But I don't know that. I'm just curious. I know that Lisa Montoya does, but I don't know how hard she's training either. Well, she ran 221, five months pregnant. I mean, I'm guessing Sarah Vaughn. Yeah, but postpartum though. Oh, I got you. Right. Is, is, is breastfeeding like you wouldn't be able to do that? Well, I'm just curious because I know that like you have to keep up your milk supply and you have to have the right nutrition and all of that. Uh-huh. And so like if you were training too much, just like you would lose your period or wouldn't something like that. Wouldn't you have to like train that? a lot? Of I don't know. Luck? I don't know. I, that's okay. what I'm asking. I'm curious. Huh. Well, here's the, here's just a, a, a glimpse at training postpartum and during pregnancy. So this is from our guy, Oivan Sandbach. Okay. <laughs> This is great. So the series of articles, just give you some backstory, Christy, and the dedicated Serious Gear podcast listeners already kind of know this a little bit, but this is one of the greatest studies where they looked at Marie Borgen's um, like training over a 14-year span, basically. Hmm. Uh, she's the all-time most accomplished male or female skier, Norwegian. She retired in 2019, I think. So um, Most accomplished, meaning like has most the most accolades. Yeah, yeah. most World Cup wins. Mm-hmm. most gold medals, mm-hmm. everything. And at the, uh, well, I'll just read this to you. So this is a case study investigating the training characteristics, physiological capacity, and body composition of the world's most successful cross-country ski- skier during the 40-week pregnancy and 61-week postpartum. So they looked at the whole pregnancy mm-hmm. plus over a year postpartum. Yeah. Okay, then they, they so they look at their training, training data. Um, here's what we have here. During pregnancy training volume, 12.9 plus or minus 7.3 hours a week in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. So about Is, 13 hours a week, the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. Do you think that's normal? Uh, like no. what would her normal, because I don't really have a concept. Depends on the time of year. Uh, she would be somewhat, and depending on her, she, she went anywhere from training 14 hours a week when it was, she went through this period in her career where they did tons of high intensity. Mm-hmm. So her hours were less. Yes. But it was about fourteen to seventeen, probably, okay. and then she 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 went to like a twenty to twenty two at one point. Okay, and so, this was what did you say thirteen? Yeah. Okay. So pretty much normal. Less. Well, less, but I and I don't know if it's it says probably later when this was in the year, because mm-hmm. um, that that might be totally right. normal, right? Actually, for that time was, of year, exactly. Because yep. here we go on here. Look at eighteen hours a week in weeks thirteen to twenty eight. So she upped it, which does make sense. I mean. In some ways, because skiing, you don't have the impact because that's what's hurting me right now is is running is like the impact. I think it like I feel like I have to go to the bathroom all the time and it just like kind of feels heavy. But if I was skiing still. Oh, yeah, it's totally a lot. But if you're a professional. uh, Yeah, but it's even 18 hours a week would be a lot for a guy who's fully healthy. And it it would be a lot, a lot for a, a girl yeah. Who is not pregnant? She must have had to be really careful about her like nutrition and hydration. And and the, it does talk about the levels of intensity. Like for example, there was like almost no high intensity, but mm-hmm. a decent amount of moderate intensity. And it yeah. was all running, cycling, or roller skiing. Okay, so then they go to the third trimester, and weeks twenty nine to forty averaged eight point eight plus or minus four point four hours a week. So a lot less yeah. there. 
but still that's over an hour a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's kind of crazy. Does that count though? Like lifting and stretching? And- oh, this is running, cycling and, and skiing okay. okay, or roller skiing. Roller yeah. skiing. I wonder how much of that was actually. That would be really scary to roller ski when you're pregnant. It especially says, three, like third trimester. So 40 weeks. I think it adds up the total hours here somewhere. I'm, I'm sure it does. But you can imagine it at about, you know, 15 hours a week overall. That's going to be over 600 hours. How many hours do you think she did of high intensity during that pregnancy? Total hours of high intensity training. 100. 2.2. I just told you she hardly did any. You're not listening. Yeah, but 100 is not that many out of 600. No, that would be a lot of oh, high intensity sorry. still. I don't know. During I'm the, not a physiologist. Wow, that's true. During the first two trimesters, the distribution was the same. Uh, the amount of running reduced during the third trimester. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. Um, postpartum. Okay, so this is what we should be looking at since we're going to try and train you back to win the more of Oslopet. No, we're going to try to train you to run the Leadville 100. I do think, though, skiing, like, <laughs> this it's, is kind of crazy. Skiing this, would be easier for me than the getting back into running. Well, especially. we're not even to, like, the end here where she, in her postpartum year, made it to the world championships and won four gold medals. So that's like at the end. 12 months of her postpartum. Yeah. That that's crazy. Uh, on the World Cup. And she's older too. But it says training volume postpartum 1 to 4. Oh, oh, they divided into four periods. So weeks 1 to 6, it was about 6.6 hours. Then weeks to, I'm curious. 1 yeah. to 6, like how much of like in week 1? Yeah, did she really nothing. train? I think we, six we actually hours. can look at that. We could go out see if I can find that. Oof. But even week 7 to 12, so now you've been praying, it was up to 14. Yeah. So she didn't lose much. I mean, I guess she could kind of jump back in. Yeah, you're right, though. I bet weeks 5 and 6 or 4, 5 and 6 were like Much more 10 than 1, 2, 3. Yes. Because, I mean, like when I was reading a blog, it was like, you know, try to walk to the mailbox, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I suppose uh, it depends on your birth experience too but. she had this and this is something you, this might defer you from the Leadville 100 because basically she 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 gradually increased 10.6 in the next one 13.6 actually you'll notice that went down because it's 7 to 12 it was 14 the reason it went down she got injured she had a uh sac- sacrum two fractions of the sacrum, basically a stress reaction leading to a decreased amount of running uh compensated by increased amounts of cycling that's why i got your bike ready uh therefore Trading volume progressively approached the pre-pregnancy values being 18 hours a week during general prep, 17 during specific prep, 17. So she's really someone who would normally train 17 hours a week. <clears throat> but basically, she built back up to that pretty fast other than she had the stress fracture. And that comes into it is something you can take from this is um, <clears throat> coming back from pregnancy, there's a lower level of bone density. Mm-hmm. Did you know that already? Well, that makes sense because you're, well, partially because you're nursing, right? Isn't that part of it, I think? Um, it has to do with, well, maybe I'm just blowing smoke. I don't really know. Yeah. The, the summary in the abstract was, indicates that high-level cross-country skiers can tolerate high trading loads during during pregnancy. <clears throat> and then, although the participant had some postpartum setbacks due to the fractures, um, led to a successful return. Within 61 weeks... And I was going to read some of the discussion sections. So it does have, it is kind of interesting to see all the training loads and things like that. But in the discussion, it talked about the general, the bone density thing. That's what I wanted to hit on. Where is that? Um, yeah, I'm curious, the bone density thing, how, like, where kind of that comes from. 
I know like joints when you're pregnant, like they say everything is looser because your body is trying to like loosen up so that you can give birth actually. But then you have trouble with your joints when you're running or doing high impact sports. Oh, sure. Okay. No, I was curious about the Leadville 100 thing. Like say I come back and I'm, it's obviously going to be like October, November, even already then when I'm coming back into things. How much training on skis do you think I could do that would benefit me for running the Leadville 100? Oh, what? I, 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 can you believe this? Cedar Scare listeners. The question was, how much skiing could benefit her running? You, I'm, I'm asking, like, would I need well, to ski, like, four hours a day to have, to, like, build up? Would no, that be you, the thing be that you'd be... You, you'd have to because all that skiing would be help you at mostly would be like your aerobic, aerobic. capacity okay. and all that and really so the problem with the lead 100 will be all of the stuff here postpartum like joint health mm-hmm. right i mean that's going to be a risk anyway yeah to be honest right when you're running that far yeah, yeah. i would think now if you're i mean maybe i'm totally wrong you know we got these people in our town that are like doing the Duluth shuffle and they can go for like 200 miles and they're 75 years old and i don't know how that really works i did Again, I think even when you're back to full health, I would try like a 50K. That's mm-hmm. kind of the new distance now anyway. I know, but when I say like, yeah, like could, do you think I could be able to do a 50K in like May after I give birth your, in September? Your fitness could get there. Your your aerobic fitness could get there yeah. and your mental toughness. Mm-hmm. But my, my joints and you stuff, might and you might get stress factor while yeah. you're trying to get there. I see. I mean, you could try risking doing like where your longest run is only a, however long you safely build up to. Like maybe it's a half marathon. You run a 13-mile training run, you're perfectly healthy, and then you just do a 50K. You do you p- think that would help or be enough? Well, well, I mean, I think you could do that okay. because I think even if the sh- the just doing it one day, then you take you know your time off. You're probably yeah. not going to get hurt in the race, you know, in one shot. It's more like, you know, if you really want to train for a hundred miler correctly, then you're probably going to do some runs where you're doing like a ten hour run, uh-huh. and that would to me, it's like, I mean, you just you're going to be running a lot. You might get IT band flare ups, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know, and and I think some people approach it differently, like. The, some of the world's best do a lot of things really close to that distance, but they never go even up to a full hundred. Right. And then that's why I was curious. Like what's, I wonder the max distance. Yeah. Like do people do 20 miles as their longest and then they go do a hundred or is that like ridiculous? Or is it more like you just said you have to run for 10 hours? It's a little more like that. And it's also what I've heard for people who are like regular Joes is they do like a 10 mile run in the morning. Then they live their entire day. And then they go out at midnight and yeah. run like 20 miles. Right. Because they have to get used to running in the middle of the night. When they're and, exhausted. Yeah. And that actually might not be a bad idea either for you is to try something really funky like yeah. a 10 mile run in the morning and then wake up at 1 a.m. and try and run 10 miles. Yeah. I don't know. But but I honestly, I mean, like, I know you tease me about wanting sleep so, so much and I am definitely a sleeper, but I almost wonder if like having a child would help me in that aspect because I would be more used to try just like you have to get up like right and you just like have to make it work and you can't be cranky about it and you just like have to deal with whatever you have to deal with like if that would almost make me tougher to be able to do a long race like that yeah I I don't know 
Maybe uh, it's worse, though, because they're not sleeping enough anyway for this, training purposes. Well, you're probably right that you would have that, like, element of sponta- spontaneity and just able to, like, nope, you just got to do what you got to yep. do. You probably would be tougher on that for men. And I wonder if, like, even just giving birth would be oh, like, yeah. give me a perspective of, like, I can do something really hard for a long time for 30 hours if that <laughs> happens what if you have like a totally i could have the baby in the bathtub in an hour so yeah, yeah it could happen if you have them <laughs> and again i think well it'd be interesting but in this article it did talk about training during pregnancy it says the participants average training volume during pregnancy was 14 hours a week that's just crazy if you look at it um that that's 79 86 and 49% of pre-pregnancy volumes during each trimester. So like first trimester, mm-hmm. yeah. 79% of normal. Um, last trimester down to 49. Absolute volume done by our athlete is much higher than, for example, the average 8.4 a week suggested for a rapid return to competitive sport without jeopardizing the fetus health. Um, however, the relative values are more in line with marathon runners reporting average volumes of 40 to 107 kilometers a week during pregnancy. Wow, that's like 60 miles a week. That's a that? lot. But the 40K would be like 25 miles a week. That's still kind of a lot. That's a lot of running with a with extra weight so fast. This does say it's the highest training volume during pregnancy ever reported in the literature, but they say that because of the different modes of exercise and skiing right. would help that. Right, right. Uh, it's very different than running. But I, I would be curious about, like we said, this swimming thing. They reduced the amount of hit. We talked about that. The during the second trimester, high intensity training for those who don't know what hit is. Yeah, the well, they know the athlete joined a fourteen day training camp in the second trimester, endured a training volume of twenty two hours a week. This was at altitude. They did lit and mit, so low wow. and middle. Wow, um, that's a, at altitude too. Like, I wonder if that's they must have really had to be monitoring like oxygen levels and heart rate and all of that. It does say, by the way, during pregnancy that um, a possible reduction in fetus oxygen saturation intensive training at altitude is not recommended during right. pregnancy. For yes. Study. Uh, I knew that one, actually. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to get oxygen, right. your baby's not getting oxygen either. It does say, one of the links, that, like, that's, well. That's um, why um, Judy was saying she was, she trained when her, she was pregnant and was so nervous the whole time about having too high of a heart rate. Um, I was uh, postpartum is kind of the one thing I don't I don't understand because I feel like the, the general rule as a mom is when you're pregnant you, and it even says it here like, be sensible and listen to your body. Yeah, basically. But postpartum maybe it's the same. Yeah, I don't know. Like I mean, it says here the participant had a quick return to training. Training volume increased to eleven hours a week. During the first period, period two, one to 19 hours. Strength training was included from week three. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Three weeks after giving birth, you're already doing strength training. Then we had this fracture. And uh, I'll, I'll see. Let's see. The reason might be that the fetal skeleton requires a substantial transfer of calcium during the third trimester. And in addition, loss of calcium in breast milk, like mm-hmm. you said, currently the mechanisms behind calcium transfer and bone turnover during pregnancy and lactate are only partly understood, and there's a lack of knowledge considering the effect of exercise on these factors. I have it. New master's thesis. Dr. (laughs) Robinson, if you're listening, my wife is available to volunteer. (laughs) We will look into this and investigate further. We will study one participant, just like 
Only not a professional skier. <laughs> There's been some crazy things people have done during pregnancy. We talked about the ski mountaineering one, you and I, off 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 air during the commercial break. I can't believe she ski mode. Ski mountaineering. There's no commercial break. That's why I paused for a long time. I was waiting for someone to go, what commercial break? I could use a break from this. This is, this is nauseating. Oh, did you want to talk about, before we go, potential names? Yes. For the baby. Ryan has lots of potential names. Or should we say you have to join us next time on the Cedar Skier podcast? Maybe we should do that. I don't know. Do we really want to give away our baby's name? Will people get mad at that? I don't know. What are we going to do, actually? We should discuss this very briefly. What are we going to do for what? Once we decide what we're going to name our baby, are we going to share that with people? Or are we going to share it once the baby's born? Well, no one does that. But why is that? Is that a new thing? Do people always do that, like, super secret? I don't know. And that, I don't want to say that everyone does that. There are some people who are like, this is going to be baby Levi. That's like, pretty rare, though, I feel like, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like social media-wise, it's rare to share. But like maybe they shared with their, all of their family and friends in person. Man, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, like Rebecca, yeah, I think keep, I turned it's on still it going. Rebecca said that she's going to name, she said what her, she's going to name their son, but has not like, posted that on social media or something like that so like to the people who aren't as close to her maybe they don't know what she's going to name her baby but but like my brother i asked what they were going to name him and he was like we have a name but i'm not going to tell you yeah i feel like that's more the norm yeah but i Uh, yeah i don't really told me once that it was because like well then if someone doesn't like the name then right that's a piece of it because i feel like if you say this is what we're going to name our baby and then your mom goes you can't name them that or someone says that it's like well too bad then you feel bad you know if you say if you if you say this is so and so they're not going to say like oh i hate that name yeah they'll probably do that like back in secret though they will but they won't at least say it to your face (laughs) but they'll say it to your face if they don't like it or i think some people maybe do worry that like someone will steal the name or something but that's kind of weird too because then it's like well then you can have two babies born on the same day and they're anna and anya and maybe you wouldn't have done that had you told each other your names i don't know we yeah we don't have anything that's that close but although i kind of thought with dan naming it um like i thought well tom evangeline right like that's like or is, is tom's the one that he likes is evangeline or evangeline i thought it was evangeline lily I think it's right. Evangeline Lily. Yeah, so he liked the name Evangeline. <clears throat> and his... but uh, but I don't think that was one of their like actual baby names. I think he just likes that <clears throat> name. I don't, I don't know. know if it was one that Turi liked or not. Hmm. And maybe Dennis and Anna asked them. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, that would be interesting. I wonder if he did. Dan, are you listening? <laughs> the NFL Draft Show with Dan Cedarquist coming up next. I have one last headline here. It says, "Liberals replace offensive term term woman with child factory who bleeds." <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of all the brave souls through the centuries who fought for equality, American liberals have finally smashed that glass ceiling in with a curling iron. <laughs> you should have read the Babylon Bee one that was something about non-menstruating partner says happy birthing day to menstruating partner or something. Oh, yeah. It was about a guy. This Whoever wrote this one's pretty like, look at this. Liberals for years have been trying to throw off the shackles of bigoted terminology, but could never quite figure out how to encompass femininity without resorting to that awful term. The change has, of course, come as welcome news to the people who every day have their eye sockets burned by the term women when going to use the bathroom. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty incredible. 
Maybe factory. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, honey, is is this? Oh, I remember what I want to ask you. What's your dream Mother's Day? Because I was going to get you flowers, but then I accidentally double pulled an extra 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm serious. When I, this morning I was on Hagerman Pass, I was like, do I have time for one more up and down? And I went up and down, but the lower section got all sunbaked. So the snow was so very slow. slow. And, and I got back to the car and I was like, oh, if it's 928, then I'm going to run to the store and get flowers. It was 938. And I figured by the time I get home, it'll be about 952. I'm glad you came home so that we were on time for church. Only yeah. one minute late. So other than other than being on the Cedar Square podcast, what else would be the dream Mother's Day for you? Um, I don't think I can answer that question yet because my baby currently requires nothing from me other than eating excessive amounts. So maybe once I actually have a baby, then I would be like, oh, I would love a nap or I would love for you to change the baby's diaper Let's all be, day you want or i would <laughs> i would love for and but you know other things that i like i mean i want a massage or i want to hang out with you or i want you to like cook me a nice meal but are you like the type of mom cream. okay i was thinking ice cream i thought you'd throw that in there are you the type of mom though who's like i want my mother's day to be me and the kids that's how my mom kind of was you know where it was like, or at least she said that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really or you know. the kind of mom that's like, I want to hide in the bathroom, like dude, dad, mom. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that yet. I think I'd be the mom that would want to hang out with my kids and do something really fun with them together, but I don't really know. I bet it would depend on what the thing is. Here, I'll pause. <laughs> like, I picture you being the type of person that if the activity was you know, like a three-hour double pull session with the kids, you might not think that's as cool. But if it was... Is that what you want for Father's Day? (laughs) I don't know. Give me some uh, potential ideas. For Father's Day? For you? No, Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's Day. What what would be yours? Um, A family picnic. Oh, I noticed on the... To somewhere fun. There's lots of picnic things for sale at garage sales. I did notice that as well. But I don't really want like a fancy picnic basket i think that's kind of silly because i'd rather have my back it is cute but it's one of those things that's not very practical i'd rather just pack our lunches in our backpacks and go on a cool long hike because if you have a picnic basket like that yeah it's like a briefcase that's like a dance event i think for sure yeah like if you're gonna go somewhere that's like to your backyard field right then you're gonna be easy it's gonna be easy to do that but they would probably actually appreciate that we should have gotten that for them I could picture them totally packing up a picnic, leaving the farmhouse, and walking to that little meadow that's like mm-hmm. over the hill. Yeah, on and, their other piece of land. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they would probably do that totally. Uh, they it, might already have something like that. I but wonder. anyway, a uh, picnic would be fun. Um, it might be fun to do like a Mother's Day brunch kind of thing, but it might be more fun to you cook the meal or something. That would be a Mother's Day brunch. With fancy waffles or something. And you want me to cook that? Yes. I usually cook food for us anyway. I know. I typically don't cook brunch food. I feel like... I know, but it would... Would my skills really meet that? You know, making things that are fancy looking. I'm more of the... I didn't quantity. say it had to be fancy looking. Yeah, but... It tastes good. Uh, waffles are not like fancy. Oh, that's true. Okay, waffles I could do. Yeah. Or is this like a Mother's Day brunch with friends? Or is this like Mother's Day brunch... In bed? Mm, I'm not a huge fan of eating in bed. That doesn't sound that appealing. Okay. 
Like letting me sleep in is just like a grandma Dorothy type Mother's Day brunch where you weren't super fancy and the candles are like lit. Oh, you don't need candles, but it would be like all candles for brunch. I don't know. I think you're confused. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly fancy napkins. Yeah, uh, I feel like when I make my delectable I, I, rice dishes, it's not like something special. I feel like for you, it's right? A delectable rice dish is not something special because that's something that we have every wow. single week. Rem- I will remember it's on record. <laughs> I'm just saying that's like something that you cook all the time. I think what I hear if, you saying is you, like a recipe, right? And for Mother's Day, it's like a. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy. I don't need like caviar or something, though. which is gross. But yeah, it something that's be. like me throwing a special thing that is a recipe a yes that <laughs> so you've thought about and you've like planned it out and not just gone hmm what's in the cupboard throw it in there because that's and it usually is good but that's like what i think you have all the time okay but this brings up a good point like what if i've thought about it but i'm not following a written out recipe right like in my head it is a recipe because i'm like i'm gonna create this flavor this dish does it taste good yes does it taste good to you or to everyone else in the world everyone all I'd have to do is like add some fats, cheeses, and things. <laughs> let's say it ends up tasting good because that happens. Okay, but when, that's when, the problem. Remember when you I say it, let's potatoes. say it ends up tasting right, good. Right, right, right. But you're not, so you haven't made it before. This is yeah, back yeah, to yeah. like your dad's like, I hate this. You can't do this because if it's not a recipe, it's not something you're following, you're just kind of making it up as you go, it might not I turn out it. great. But let's, again, let's say... You, let's and say, just let's adding say, cheese does not make it taste better. It does. Let's say the day before, right, you, you, you say, like, what would really mean a lot to me is to have you make a recipe, like a meal, right, mm-hmm. that has followed recipes. So I go to the kitchen, and I work my Hell's Kitchen magic, right, and I'm just cutting and slicing and frying. And I follow no recipes, but what I set before you looks good and does taste good. And you ask the question, well, let's say you forget. Like you eat it and you're like, this is amazing. And then after the meal, you're like, whose recipe do you follow? And I tell you, I actually just kind of went by the seat of my pants, flying by the seat of my pants. Would you be mad about that even though it was the best meal you've ever no, had? No, I would not be mad. I'd be mad if it didn't turn out that good and you thought it was like the greatest thing in the whole wide world and this is the best meal I've ever created. And I'm like, and it tastes like you just threw a bunch of stuff together yeah. and doesn't taste that good. So but that would be the, the scenario I create. Right. So, but yes, if it tastes perfect uh-huh. and wonderful and fabulous, then great but you're taking that risk <laughs> but you also are taking that risk if you're trying a new recipe also i get yeah, that too you could screw up you could totally screw up and there have been times where like i've used your mom's recipe as a base and then i've like adjusted it and then it didn't failed. yeah sometimes it works okay to sub the different things that we have and sometimes it doesn't really work that great right huh yeah that's interesting i i think i get it like well, I feel like part of it following a recipe, though, too. You've got all these different dishes and stuff. I I, I mean, come on. The Italian dressing, frying the potatoes in there, that's an excellent side dish. We just did that. Yep. Dill pickle juice as well, occasionally. The Sometimes your appreciation for dill pickle juice maxes out mine. Like it's a little you too dill pickle. a lot of the pickles. Although pregnancy-wise, have you seen the doodads where they're like the one chick who's pregnant? It's like pickles and peanut butter yeah and she's got like the cafe the stuff you pour in your coffee oh yeah yeah uh would you have you been addicted to anything mother no i haven't really craved anything although last night when i woke up at two and couldn't fall back asleep i was daydreaming about pizza 
is that something that happens last trimester? Like, I thought you would be, you know, stirring over something. Yeah. You kind of crave, like, peanut butter and ice cream just all the time anyway. Yeah, right. No, I don't have any different cra- – and and yeah, I think some people, it. like, cravings are like, this is so strong. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get this food. You yeah. know, like, that kind of a strength. And I'm, I'm like – like I like I said, I have woken up in the night and been dreaming about food, which is weird. That's that not normal weird. for me. Yeah. And often it's pizza or, like, cinnamon rolls or something, something that I don't, like, eat mm-hmm. hardly at all. But it's like 2 a.m. So I don't actually want it. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't actually get up out of bed and go make myself a pizza if I had that. I, you know? Come on. But then like by the time I wake up or throughout the rest of the day, I'm not craving pizza all day. Yeah. Huh. Well, I guess I've gotten lucky. It's been like the luckiest. I, sometimes I forget that you are pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I have been very blessed. That's been a very easy pregnancy. You haven't thrown up a single time. Or not have you once. done that at work no. without telling me? Nope. You haven't thrown up. You don't crave stuff. Well, you don't crave food. And yet. Yet. It could happen still. It might be more of a third trimester thing, but I feel like more. it's probably more second trimester because that's when you're kind of like eating a lot because your baby's growing I so just much. hope we don't end up in a situation where I leave in the morning like 5 a.m. like I have been. You know, I'm skiing. And, all and of I'm sudden texting you're, you. Like, you're like, I'm at the hospital having our baby. And I'm like, crap, kind of forgot we were having a baby. <laughs> That won't happen. I don't know. And then Ajay, you know. Well, I'm kind of convinced that Shikari has to be our next dog's name. I love that name. But I think it works well for a dog because you can call it Shaq. Shikari, Shaq, Kari. Spell Kari, K-A-A-R-J-E. <laughs> Kari, a Finnish spelling. It also has the Kari like. And J-A does not say E. Shikari. J A. No, I said J E. J E also says yeah. What are you talking yes. about? Well, what's E? I don't know. I I. Okay, fine. Kari then. J I I. Yeah. No, not J I I. You wouldn't need a J in there. I I says E. I want Shikar the J. E. I want the J. <laughs> but the J says yeah. <laughs> you don't want it to say Shakari. It's going to have yeah. the Y. Like it has the Y, it's like a term around, but it's not, it's Y if the next letter is A, and it's Yi if the next letter is I. And yeah, I, sh- I think I'm going You by don't that. want Shikari Yi either. No, that's true. You want Shikari. <laughs> yeah, you just want an E sound. You don't okay, want a Yi. <laughs> I can't really put the J in there. Wow, I yeah. didn't really think about that. I didn't think that went through enough. Well. Yeah. No, I don't think you can put a J in Shikari. Oh, well. Well, this has been a great show. Hope you've liked it. Thanks for tuning in. Uh. Cedars here. Until next time, next Mother's Day, uh, we will have Christy on again to talk about what it's like to be a mother. And we'll get back to our dissection of all the greatest topics in sports and sports science. And we'll give you an update on where I am postpartum athletic-wise. She'll probably be somewhere in the 12 to 15 hours a week range, I'm guessing. Yes. Of training. Training for the Leadville 100. The Visma Classics. We're getting her out there. The Visma Classics would be over by next Mother's Day, honey. Um, or the following birth, year August 31st you give birth that means you have plenty of time to get in shape for Vasilopit that's in March right the so then next Mother's Day I will have already done that oh yeah that's a good point well Oracle Legion Trainer people if you're listening to this we need a sponsor and you can send us the Oracle Legion Trainer to P.O. Box 1374 Leadville Colorado 80461 <laughs> <laughs> alright <laughs> This is Shovel Lake Public Radio. We'll see you next time.